What's up, guys? Matt here. Before we dive in the show, I want to remind you about the six-week boot camp starting on September 4th. Now, we only have three spots left. Over 60% of our original boot campers renewed, which gave us very few spots remaining as we only take 10 people on. And this is an amazing, amazing option for a business owner who's looking to grow and scale their business in life. Not only will you be a part of a private Facebook community with like-minded individuals who literally are talking to each other on a daily basis, we're doing challenges every single day to keep us sharp and to keep us on pace, but you're also going to get group calls every single Tuesday night at seven o'clock from people that own seven, eight, and nine-figure businesses. And on top of that, you're also going to get one-on-one coaching with me every single week where we're going to tear apart your business and your life and rebuild it so you can live the life of your dreams and build the business that serves you and your family. If that sounds like something you're interested in, you can click the link in the show notes right now. There's three spots left. I would be honored to work with you over the next six weeks, and it would be an amazing, amazing thing for you to do going into the busy season this fall. I hope to see you there. Click the link in the show notes right now. Welcome to the Service Industry Podcast. I've spent the last decade as a CEO, operator, and business builder selling tens of millions of dollars in products and services. I, just like many of you, started with nothing. My mission for this podcast is to help you become the greatest version of yourself, help you grow and scale your business, and create the life you've always dreamed of. I'm your host, Matt Smith. Enjoy the episode. What's going on, guys? Matt here from the Service Industry Podcast, and we have a special, special episode today with my good buddy, Sam Gimble, and he owns Atlas Outdoors, and I'm lucky enough to have him just around the corner from me. Um, Sam's episode today is fire. It's going to motivate you. It's going to show you that you can literally start with absolutely nothing, and you can come from nothing, and you can build the life of your dreams. And I'm excited for you guys to listen to this episode today. It's longer than we normally do. And that's totally okay because I think the whole thing will be super, super valuable for you. So I'm not going to waste anybody else's time here. Let's not drag this out. I want to introduce you to my good friend, Mr. Sam Gimble, Atlas Outdoors. So what's going on, Mr. Sam? Glad to have you. Uh, Apologize I'm a little late to the call, but thankfully you're here. We're here. We made it work, man. It's an honor to be here, my friend. Yeah, yeah. So as you know, uh, this podcast is it's full of guys that guys and gals that are running home service companies. So lawn care, pest control, pressure cleaning, carpet cleaners, everything you can think of. Um, and I just like to bring on people that I know and trust that have built big businesses. And uh, I'm lucky enough that you're just around the corner from us. Um, and you know, I know you just from being local and and kind of playing music together at church and that kind of thing. But I thought it'd be really valuable to bring you on today and share your story because you run this big ginormous uh landscape business now here in Michigan. Um, you know, that's doing millions and millions of dollars a year. But I want to kind of share the whole story because I think that's it's a really good way to, especially for guys that are struggling right now or just getting started. Um to show them what is possible in the home service space. And so let's bring it way, way back. Um, and let's kind of start from where, where you started and let's, let's hear from the the grassroots kind of where Sam, oh where Sam started the story. 
So how, how much time do we have again? We've got to make sure we keep this thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, no, it's, it's a, it's an incredible story. So no, obviously, uh, as you know, or, or certain listeners might understand that, like I, I actually grew up in the, the Flint, I grew up in Flint. So born and raised North end of Flint, uh, for everybody that knows it's, uh, not the greatest of upbringings, not the greatest of areas, but, um, my, my mom was a CNA, which I never realized it at the time, but my dad used to call her a professional butt wiper. Yeah. Um, but she worked at a nursing home. That's what she did for a living. She made $12, $13 an hour was like what I remember of the journey. And my dad was actually, believe it or not, my dad used to be like, um, uh, like a jack of all trades, master of none. And he used to wash windows in downtown Flint and he would mow lawns over in the court street area. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those that know Flint, like college cultural kind of hood over there. And, and back when I, when I was a kid, that was like the sought after area. If you were from Flint, that's where like the who's who's were at. And I remember going to work with my dad, like mowing lawns over in that area, like push mowing these houses and having like a, an electric weed whacker that was plugged into an extension cord. <laughs> and it was funny because kids at school would say, Hey, I, I saw you over on, you know, Kensington or court street or whatever. And I remember I used to actually, uh, I used to lie and say that that's where I lived at because I was embarrassed to really tell the truth of like where we really lived at. Like I never wanted anybody to know where our house was. And I mean, it was, it was pretty messed up. Like the way we, you know, my parents did their best. They loved us. I had two sisters um, my parents did their best to, to raise us as best as they could. But I just remembered, you know, it, it's been said that we are uh, an an offspring of our parents, whether it's one way where we choose that we're going to be opposite of the way we were raised, or we choose to grow up and follow their footsteps. And I just remember for me personally, like seeing the way that my parents struggled financially. And, you know, we got one pair of shoes a year, you make them things last. Um, I remember the phone ringing and that was back when caller ID was a big thing. And if it would said, un, uh, if it said like you anonymous caller or unavailable, my mom would be like, don't answer it. It's a bill collector. And so I just remember like, I didn't want to be like that. Yeah. And so the, the moment, you know, when I was in high school, I met my girlfriend, now my wife, um, in high school and she was, uh, she is two years older than me. Nobody would ever knew that if they, they saw us, but she, you know, graduated from Flint Central and you know, went to college. And I remember when she was gone there, when she left school because she graduated, I'm like, I have no desire to be here anymore. So I managed to land a job at the Flint Journal back when that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of cheated my way into a customer service job and uh, ended up, they found out. So I had to go get my GED and go through that whole program. But I started to, to tie it into where I'm at today in the, the landscape industry, I had got a job when I was 21 uh, for a local smaller like lawn and landscape company. And I got a job plowing snow and that uh, went for a couple winters. I loved it. It was a great extra little income yeah. for me. And it transitioned from that to in 2002, um, I started cutting grass for the company in the summer. I actually got hired on as a foreman. Uh, because I had a driver's license. So even back then, the whole driver's license thing was a superpower. I mean, it's yeah. still something that we struggle to find guys, find that in guys today. Um, but so 2002, I started cutting grass. Um, and I absolutely coming from like working with my dad growing up, push mowing lawns and watching windows and 
pressure washing all these little odd jobs that he used to do and now getting to, to do it for a professional company and, and work outside all day. I absolutely just was obsessed with it. I mean, like the, the mowing lawns and putting stripes with a zero turn. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was all in. And so because I was so passion driven for it, um, after a few years, I ended up getting promoted into more of like a production manager role where I was kind of like training guys and doing things where I was not able to mow grass as much as I used to. And so in 2005, me and my wife, we moved from Flint out to Davison and we had a, a two acre parcel of land. And on that two acres, I bought a zero turn so that I could mow my own lawn because I love cutting grass and I'm like, I'll just mow my own lawn. Yeah. Well, that transitioned into cutting my neighbor's lawn right next door to me and then mowing the lawn two houses down. And I was such a great asset for the, the, the job I had that my boss at the time never was like a stickler about me mowing my neighbor's lawns. I did it for beer money basically. Yeah. And so uh, little did I know that as the years were going on, that that was eventually going to transition into starting Atlas Outdoor. So we lived on Atlas Road um, and Atlas really was just a side hustle to my day job. And so in uh, 2007, 2008 winter, um, the, I, like it really, I started to see that I can make money plowing snow as a subcontractor for the company I worked for because they used to hire subs in the wintertime so I went out and bought a couple of plow trucks, got a DBA, and that was really my first taste of like entrepreneurship where I put a couple of guys in a couple of trucks. Yep. And it uh so got a couple of guys plowing snow and you know a couple of years went by doing that, working my day job, plow snow in the winter. If if my boss, the company I worked for couldn't use me plowing, I would go partner with other companies locally that mm -hmm. could use me so I could just make money doing that. And so uh, in 2010, we had our daughter and the, the company I worked for, like, it was just, it was clear that there was really no leadership that wanted to take it to the next level. And I was hungry. I mean, I just, I wanted more. I had a lot of energy and I, I was willing to go all in for this company and, you know, do more. I actually wanted to buy the company. I didn't have any money, but I thought I could figure it out. Um, I wanted to buy the company. And my boss at the time was just like, you know what, like I'm, if I wanted to sell it, I'd have to get like millions of dollars for it. And like looking at it now, we've acquired dozens of companies and I'm like, man, that guy really had no idea yeah. what companies were worth, but everybody thinks their businesses are, you know, worth more than they are. But so anyway, uh, 2010, we have our daughter. Um, my now side business was like growing. I was probably mowing like 30, 40 accounts, doing landscaping on the weekend um, my wife, who was an HR manager for a local hospital, uh, she really, really wanted to stay at home with our daughter. And I'm like, I, I respect that. We'll make it work. So I'm like working my day job. But then I have all these lawns and all these landscapes I'm doing on the side. And it was a lot, dude. I was playing in a couple bands as a drummer. I yeah. was doing anything I could because I literally was just motivated. I was driven by fear. I was so afraid that I wasn't going to be able to provide for my wife and daughter that it like, I literally worked 25 hours a day. Yeah. And so 2011 spring rolls around and like, it's like our daughter's like taking her, you know, starting to like take her first steps and 
my, it was just, it was too much to keep trying to work a day job, then go work on. And I wasn't even trying to build Atlas. It was literally just the means to make extra money because yep. I couldn't make any more at my day job. So uh, June of 2011, the journey really began where I ended up quitting my job after it was, I want to say I was there for eight years, eight or nine years. And I went all in with Atlas, uh, you know, working from the driveway on Atlas Road. Um, I was able, I hired three people right out of the gate because I knew between the lawns I had and the little landscapes that I had already sold to, to get this thing going. Uh, we had saved up $22,000 in the bank. And so I knew that with our current bills at the time that we could survive for like seven or eight months on that money because I couldn't afford to pay myself with this business. I needed yeah. to pay my guy. We could live off that money. And dude, we hustled, man. I mean, that literally from the, I remember the morning, that Monday morning when these three dudes showed up in my driveway and like the Atlas journey begun. I remember we had two weeks of like special projects sold, a couple of pressure wash jobs. I think I lined up like we were going to paint a deck and then we, we've got about 50 lawns that we're mowing. And so I would literally go and sell and try to cultivate business by day. But then I would go do work at night that was in order to be able to pay myself. Yeah. And it was just, it was wild. So to look at the journey then and to just kind of land the plane on that part of the story, uh, we ended up closing out our first year, which wasn't even really a full year, but 2011, uh, we landed the plane at about 330000 in revenue. But the crazy part of the story was in 2012, uh, we broke our first seven figures in oh, business. Wow. Literally our first full year of business, we did over a million dollars in business. And we went on to grow to $2 million our second year, $3 million our third year, $4 million our fourth year, $5 million our fifth year. Um, which put us at like the 16, 17 transition. And that was really like the darkest, darkest years of business where it really, it really caught up that we were operating like a phase. We were operating, operating at a phase five capacity, but with like phase two leadership and systems, sure. AKA our only system was there were no systems. I was a horrible boss, a horrible leader. Um, I had put all these people in place that shouldn't have any reason to be managers. And it was like, if there was ever a point in the journey where I felt like this was not what I sought out to be and I need to just bring this thing back down to what was comfortable for me, it was really right around that $5 million point. And so we were bleeding cash. We were driving two to three hours to do projects. I mean, there was just, it. we grew too quick. And so when I look back at it, and I, I, I do think it's a lot easier to fix your problems when you already have sales to, to fall back on. We at least had that part figured out. We yeah. accidentally grew that much through literally sales and hiring a bunch of really good people. Um, but if we would have stretched that journey out to like eight or nine years, I think we would have saved ourselves a whole lot of gray hair and stresses and just really let it looked at it more of like a marathon and not a sprint. But, you know, in hindsight now, you know, we're, we're approaching on our 13th year. Um, there's kind of like this, this myth or mindset that 
if your business survives five years, you know, you've made it right. Like literally at our five year point, I was like, I could go yeah. back and get a job at Menards <laughs> and make a hundred grand a year and have like half this stress. And so I really do think we hit our stride at the 10 year point. I mean, like that, that was where we really started to realize like what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I think the pandemic really like brought us together as a team and it, it showed us like how much, how many great things we had put in place, even through some of those darker years. Yeah. And then now how do we not so much focus on our weaknesses, but how do we take our strengths and pour fuel on them and use that to create the future from, and that's where we're at now. So I think that yeah. that's a, you know, wild journey. Uh, so today, 102 team members. Uh, so we just broke 100 this year. And really, like, there's really no plan of attack for stopping that. As long as people that are joining our team want to continue to grow, then uh, as long as our clients are willing to continue to hire us and give us more work and pass on more properties, then we're just going to continue riding the riding on the way as long as we can. And until people at some point say, okay, enough is enough. And and I don't, I think that uh, there really is no stopping point because growth doesn't have an expiration date. So. That's no, that's really good, man. On. Yeah. That's a, uh, it's interesting to hear you say that. I mean, I know your story, but um, I don't know that I, I knew that when you guys like hit that 5 million mark that you were in such a pain point. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty similar to my company, Brave American. We went from zero to 5 million in our first year. And oh my goodness, dude, it was like, like the most stressful thing ever because sales was the least of our problems, but like everything else was exploding in the, like in the yep. business and not in a good way. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of people have this like perception that the more revenue you do, that problems just like go away or it gets easier. Um, but if you don't have your business set up in the right way, like it actually compounds, it gets way, way worse. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I actually, that's something that I have conversations with, with entrepreneurs all the time where people, you know, that I, I want to grow, I want to grow my business. I want to grow my business. And the very, very first question that I like to unpack is why? Yeah. Like, because if you, if your whole goal is, you know, financial freedom, you want to get to a point where you can make a great income and, but have some time with your kids and be able to raise a family and have vacation time with your wife. There, there are sweet spots of growth. And the the thing is, is like getting from that zero to like the million to million three mark is like one part of the journey where I feel like at that one, two, one, three mark, people really, really taste their their first taste of like what success feels like Mm. but then from there it's like hey your next point is like three million and so when you get to two million you're like i don't get it we're doing more revenue but i feel like i'm working harder now than i did before but i don't have as much money in the bank yeah and i think it's really kind of like uh beginning with the end of beginning with the end in mind and like for me, you know, my initial goal was like, if we can make this business have 13 to 15 employees, do a million bucks in revenue, I can make a hundred grand for myself, which like, dude, that was more money than I, I, I felt like a hundred grand. You're like God's gift to entrepreneurs at that point. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so that was like my goal that I've always, I've always been a goal guy. Like I've always been like, reading books on goals, goals, goals. I have a goal. I want to do this. I want to lose some weight. 
I want to get to this point. I, I'm going to make a goal to start another crew. Well, what I, what I learned was that goals are like success in today, where when you start to really hit stuff, it kind of takes, it kind of takes the fun out of it. If you're a driven person, you can knock a goal out of the park. But what I learned about myself, and this is just what I'm obsessed with for myself today, but I also love to share the same vision with entrepreneurs is to be more growth driven, not goal driven, mm. because growth does not have an expiration date. You can take that right to the grave with you. And so for me personally, like it, when I look back at those dark years of leading, the problem was that I was so focused on leading others that I wasn't leading myself. And like legit, I would wake up in the morning with my hair on fire, rushing out of the house to get to the office, to get the crews out, to go do this, to make sure we got this covered, got that covered. But really there was no Sam I'm in there. Yeah. And I remember my wife, you know, bless her heart. She was like, honey, like, I'm not trying to say this to be mean, but like, you look like crap. You know, you're not like, I wasn't working out like I used to, which I never really was like a big, like exercise guy, but I at least like to take care of myself. Yeah. And so I, I literally, there was my whole life was like focused on just helping others, which, you know, I've now learned that the best way to help others is you have to help yourself first. You have to put your yeah. own oxygen mask on first. And I really took a different approach to leadership, really like 2018, 2017, 2018, coming out of those dark years. I'm like, I've got to take myself out of the out of the equation here and focus more on how do I help others get to the life and leadership that they want. And if I do that, then ultimately the the byproduct that will be to help me get to the life that I want, you know, for my family, for for our team and for all the others that I'm blessed to get to work with. And so it, it's funny, like there's books like the E-Myth was one of my yeah. game changing books. And I'm thinking to myself, why did I not read the E-Myth like my first year in business? Right. And like just that little goofy business book that I think every entrepreneur should read. So if you're listening to this or watching this, read the E-Myth yeah. by Michael Gerber, listen to it, whatever, take notes on it and just apply those principles to what you're setting out to do. I wish I would have did that like five years earlier because it completely changed my view on business and leadership, but just looking at how do I help empower and grow others and let them kind of take the ball and run with it, set some accountabilities in place and really just figure out from there, like, what is it that we want to be when we grow up? And that's why I mentioned that whole 10 year part of the journey, because I really felt like that was the point where we set the floor on who and what we wanted to be. And now like the the growth has just, it, there's so much more momentum now, not just with me, with, but with our team that they all want it too. So it's not just me that's trying to make things get better. Like everybody else is, is focusing on growth in ways that they can improve. And that just manifests itself right down to the front lines of the business. It's a work in progress. We're trying to get better at it every day, but that's the beautiful thing about being growth focused, not just goal focused. Yeah. I like that. What, um, I guess transitioning kind of a little bit would be like you have 102 employees. Um, you spoke at one of our group calls in our business boot camp a few weeks ago. Um, and you know, I, I would say the people that are attracted to this podcast 
typically are looking to scale their business, but there are some like owner operators out there that are uh, kind of in the mindset of like, oh, I can't find an employee or yeah. all employees suck or uh, <laughs> kind of like you had said on the business bootcamp um, to, I think it was Scott, uh, something along the lines of like, at some point you train the employee and then you set him free and he's going to screw yeah. up. Um, yep. but what are, what are you doing inside of your business? Cause there's people that are like, I can't find one employee, much less 102. Yep. Uh, what kind I guess, is there any secret sauce? Is there something you guys are doing different than everybody else that is helping you attract good talent? Mm, that's, and it, and it is a completely different thing when you are the guy that's just trying to get off the truck and, you know, cause you're, you're kind of selling people on a dream at that point where yeah. there's nothing there's nothing being lived out. And that's the thing when you're, when you're looking at the, when you're looking at the steps of the growth process from like when you're the life you're living today is a result of the decisions that you made five years ago. So most people, because they don't see the actions actually coming to fruition in the moment, they, they default back to going back to being the guy on the truck again, mm. and just knowing that that's, what that's what they're going to be stuck with and so when when we're at the size where we're at now you know you've you've got the ability to for people to actually see growth much quicker than you are at the one to five say one to five employees yeah and so i say this to entrepreneurs all the time when you're in that phase of business <laughs> You've got to be as creative as possible. And we still have to be creative today, but you've got to be as creative as possible in what you're offering to that first employee or to that second employee. Because really, the only thing that you have at that point to give them is financial gain. That's it. Yeah. There's no, you can't, you're not showing them a career ladder. There is no career ladder. Like they work alongside of you. The only way they're going to do something is like you die and then they take over the business, which chances are you're not going to leave it to them anyway. Yeah. So what are, what are you selling them on? So, you know, when I think back to the people that were wanting to jump on the bus with us early, it was that they could see that I was all in and this is typically the number one thing that hinders early on is the entrepreneur has to like go get another gig to make an income so that he can quote unquote start this business. Like how many entrepreneurs do you have a conversation with where they're like either a firefighter yeah. or they like have a part-time gig doing DoorDash or doing something. And you know, if, if they're not even all in on this mission of the business, how can you expect an employee to be right. all in? And so that's what I think was the secret sauce early on was that even though we had no idea of where it was that we were going on this family trip, it was going to be fun. And people wanted to be a part of that. So it wasn't that we were paying them a ton of money. In fact, I didn't have a whole lot of money to pay. So like, the whole $500 salary thing was the joke for the longest time. Like you want to, Hey, you want to, you want a job? We need people to cut grass and yeah. run pressure washers and do all this stuff. What do you pay? Not oh, 500 bucks a week. I have no idea what that number meant. I just knew I could get guys to work for that dollar amount. Yeah. And so when you fast forward that now to the business model that really starts to hit around that 40 to 50 employee mark is now you you're really transitioning into uh, for lack of better terms, 
eliminating the foster care program with employees. And what I mean by that, it's you're no longer a business where people go until they get their real job. Like mm. they're coming there to stay there. And so when you can get to the point of the journey, when you're, you're no longer a stepping stone, I think that that just opens doors to people that are now coming in that are more career focused. And it's not everybody like the 80, 15, five principle is like the thing that yeah. I've just been driving home to my team is, you know, 80% of people just want to do enough to get a paycheck and not get fired. The other 15% are just above bar. We tend to promote them into managerial roles because they're just a little bit better yeah. than the 80. The other 5% are truly your pioneers of growth. And those are the ones that actually want more out of life than the 80 or the 15. Yep. And those are the ones that as an entrepreneur that you need to be pouring in, let the five pour into the 15, let the 15 serve the 80, rinse, wash, repeat, and just let that cascade itself into growth. And really, once you can get that model in place, it's, they're really like, how many people, when, when I say, oh, we've, we had 50 employees or we had 60 employees, they're like, holy, the first, I don't want that headache. Oh, yeah. no. And I'm like, actually, I don't, I don't want your headache. Like yeah. literally like it's, it actually becomes a point now where it, it gets like my whole purpose in leadership is really just to have fun in what I'm doing. And like the thought of just having one guy, that's my right hand guy or two guys. And that's all like, how do you keep them? I wish I had like a magical answer for that. Pay them more than they can make anywhere else. That's all you got. Like yeah. give them nice equipment, pay them more than they're going to make at another company and hope that they stay. Yeah. That's, that's all you've got to lead with. But then as you can provide more opportunity and provide health benefits, provide some form of retirement, uh, provide the career ladder, um, that's where now the, the approach to growth is completely different. And so, you know, we still have turnover. We're not perfect, um, but it's the it's it's a healthy turnover. We're making room for more A players to come in and we're promoting more of the B players to other companies. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny because like, I'm sure you've dealt with it too, but there's owner operators out there that will die on that hill of, yep. of being an owner operator and why it's the best and how everybody else sucks and, and all the headaches yep. if you have employees and blah, blah, blah. But like, dude, zero chance I want that guy's headaches. No. Zero chance. No. Yep. Um, that's really good. Okay, cool. So you grow this business. What are you guys at? Like around 9 million bucks now? Give or take, yeah. Well, between depends the winter breaks it all, but yeah, between nine and 10, just depending on what the winter season does for us. We can't predict that. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So what is a, what is a guy's role like you? Like, what do you, what does your day-to-day -day look like now? Like what is a, mm. a guy who's running a $9 million business? What does he get to do every day? That is, that is a great question, man. Like, so I am the one, I will tell you, I am a stickler with my time. So like it's, I used to, I used to take advantage of every quote unquote free lunch. Right. So I realized how much people will take of your time if you let them. Yeah. And so, you know, looking at that now, like I, I live and run my, my day by my calendar, but uh, I'll just walk you through a typical day for me. So each, each day varies. Um, but like a normal Monday for me in the, the peak season would be, uh, I wake up at 4.30 every day. 
Um, I lax that on the weekends because, you know, I do 6 a.m. on the weekends, but 4.30, 4.30 Monday <laughs> to Thursday, 5 a.m. on Friday, and I do 6 on the weekends unless I'm drumming at church. That, what a that beast. alters my yeah. Sunday. So, um, but I get up at 4.30. Um, I, I pre, I pre plan my, my morning the night before. So like coffee maker goes off at 427. Uh, that way when the alarm goes off at 430, I smell the coffee already brewing and it's, it's there like waiting for me when I get out onto the couch. Uh, if you snooze the alarm, you are now giving yourself permission to procrastinate for the day. And I feel like a complete and utter loser if I snooze and go back to bed, I'm like, dude, what the heck? Like you start your day with a win by getting up when you told yourself the night before you're going to get up the whole day, just manifest itself from there. So I get up at four 30. Um, I'm on the couch with my first cup of coffee poured by four 40, four 45. Uh, I start my morning out with a daily devotion. I've got a Proverbs book. That was actually a gift from uh, one of my coaching clients. That was freaking awesome. Um, and so I have a, a Proverbs book. I start with that. I read one chapter of the Bible. I force myself to have to study what I read because I've got about 25 fellow Christian brothers of mine that we will all share in the morning, like what we're reading and what we took away from it. And what that does is it forces me to have to read a chapter study the chapter and create a takeaway. Mm. So like whatever that is, it just, it makes me like, if I don't, if I don't send my part of the text, people will start talking crap going, must be nice to sleep in. Yeah. They know I'm not sleeping in. And so um, I'm try I try to be, I'm usually wrapped up with my quiet time and getting in the word by about five 20 ish. Um, then I always am reading one chapter or one section of a, of a leadership or some type of a growth book. Uh, right now I got turned on to uh rich dad, poor dad. Yep. So that's like my book right now that is totally just blowing my mind on the whole uh, educational system that, yeah. you know, the way they're raising the youth that are, are cultivating our youth. So that's the book I'm reading right now. Um, but I try to be wrapped up with all of my personal morning stuff there by like five forty. I head to the gym or I go outside for a run. Uh, that's my next hour, uh, 7 a.m. I've got a relationship. I've got a, a, a daddy-daughter deal. I take my daughter to school every morning. Been doing that for the last, she's in eighth grade now at the time of this recording. So we're now four years. This is the fourth year of me doing that. And she looks forward to oh, that yeah. ride to school with dad. I'm holding on to that with all I can. Yep. Um, so my, I'm, I make myself kind of my unwritten rule with my team or what, you know, any other entrepreneurs, whatever, I'm available for the world uh, at 7 a.m. So after 7 a.m., like, that's why I know if I don't get my me time in before seven, at that point, like, I am now open for permission for people to use me with whatever they need to, to help them out. So daughter to school, you know, days prep, day begins. Um, I usually get to our office, give or take around nine is a, is a good day for me. Um, and then I basically, whatever, whatever I'm, whatever my role is in the business at the time, uh, it's gotta be something that's adding value to like the mission of whatever it is that we're working on. Like I've got, I think we figured out I'm at eight or nine clients that are like longtime clients that still want to deal with Sam. So I'm still their account manager per se, 
but uh, they're pretty high-end clients for yeah. us. So the more higher end, usually the less maintenance they are. Like we we have a couple power pack meetings a couple times a year. But other than that, as long as services are going well, it, they're pretty quiet. Yep. Um, but yeah, really for me, just uh, the, the, I, I open myself up for lunch with people um, on Tuesdays only. The only day I go out to lunch because it's the, the one day that I don't put stuff in the calendar. Hence why I was able to record this with you on a Tuesday yeah, because yeah. I knew I was free. I, so it's nice when somebody says, hey, man, I'd love to take you to lunch sometime. It's easy for me to go back and say, well, I only do lunch on Tuesdays. Um, and legit, like my Tuesdays are usually booked out, humbly said a couple months in advance. So I can actually say like, I, I don't mean this in the wrong way, but like, I don't do lunch. I'm happy to jump on a Zoom call yep. at any given time, um, but I just have to be super strategic with that time. Uh, but yeah, day-to-day -day -day stuff, my, my role in the business is really, you know, leadership development, uh, working with my, like my GM or, or director of business development. Those are like my main two direct reports. And from there, it's like studying numbers, studying trends. Um, my my kind of next big thing for me, uh, I really, really want to push acquisitions more yep. and start looking at like every year. We did this in the early on days where I used to make it a goal to buy out like one small company a year. And I say small, like, you know, a $20,000 acquisition was like a big deal for yeah, us. Yeah. But those clients fit perfectly in what we were doing. Well, now I'm kind of like, you know, every year if I set a goal to maybe acquire like a seven figure company, yep. then now that can really pour fuel. So I've got a great business development team here in place that they're all over the organic growth. They're all over like leads come in, they're on it. We're, we're, we're shaking hands and kissing babies in the community where if, if they're focusing on that and I can focus more on the acquisitions, now we're just doubling our growth potential and we can just you know pour fuel on what we already got going on. So. Yeah, yeah, that's day to day yeah. role. Look at looking at numbers and figuring out how we can get better. But that's what you love doing. Numbers are not my strong suit. I like buy buy, dude. I'm a sales guy, man. I like we like I said, we accidentally grew to that first five six yeah. million dollar point because I love people, and so now my love of people it can't be in the love of people in the client end because I don't want to get into my sales guys way. Like that's their thing. So my love of people really is the people that I get to work with every day on the leadership side of the business. And like the thought of staring at a, a P and L I'm like, Oh, like I really don't, it, it doesn't, I'm not, I'm not motivated by money. So like, when you don't come from much, yeah. it doesn't take much for us to feel like we were successful. And that can be a huge crutch yeah. in the journey because like, you know, humbly said, when I was able to make my first six figures, dude, I, I'm like, I can be good right here, man. This is like, I'm God's gift to entrepreneurs. And so it like to have to, obviously I want to be strategic in where we're spending our money at and monitor expenses but like, I don't, I don't want to have to have like a financial person in place that's like telling us what we need to do and when we need to do it. I do have like outside people that I rely on that information yeah. from and coaches and mentors that I get to work with that hold me accountable to stuff. But really, I just, I love to see people grow. That's why I agreed to do this because if this podcast grows legs and one person takes what we talked about 
and applies that into his life and leadership, then I know I'm fulfilling God's purpose for my life. And God's purpose for me is to not sit here and stare at these darn reports yeah. that I got off. But you know what? We have to do it because somebody's got to do it and make sure that I have a couple of key things that are like my KPIs to know the business is running the way I want it. One of them is top line sales. We got to be growing minimum of 10% every year. Bottom line profits. I want to make sure that what we're doing is actually bringing money in yep. and retention. If if we're able to keep our core group of guys, there's such thing as healthy turnover, but those are like the three things that I monitor in, in my personal business, but also in you know, other entrepreneurs that I've worked with. Like those are your three main things. And as long as those are trending up and you've got a good work-life balance where the, the number of hours you're putting in the business, you're happy with. And if it's six and you're not happy with it, you just convince yourself that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you've got a, a good, healthy work-life family balance, sales are able to continue to get better, profits are able to continue to go up, and you're retaining your good work staff, then life is good. And I feel like you do those few key things, rinse, wash, repeat, pour fuel on it, recipe for continued success. And and how could you not love doing that? Like yeah. that's, you don't burn out. People, I love when people say like, man, I'm just burning out. The people that burn out were never on fire to begin with. Mm. Well, I know we have a, just a few minutes here before we got to wrap up, but what is your, you spoke on this for a second, but, um, I learned this the hard way. I was one of those guys that was like work, work, work 70 hours a week, six days a week. You know what I mean? Um, and I did it in the name of entrepreneurship. And then one day, like I realized that I wasn't happy. Um, and sometimes I talk to these guys that are out there, you know, quote unquote hustling and, and working their life away and they, they claim to love it. Right. Um, but I just, because I was that guy, I don't believe them. Do you have any thoughts on that? (laughs) So my, my pivotal moment, we used to work eight days a week. Like if there was landscapes to be done, if a customer wanted mulch done and it's 4th of July weekend, we're freaking doing it. We're all in. And my pivotal moment was when my wife and she didn't do this to, you know, to be mean, she did it as a celebratory moment, but I try to like not get emotional about this, but she, she sent me a video of our daughter taking her first steps and she had this little grin on her face and she was, and my wife's like, come to, come to mommy. And, yeah. my, and my daughter, my little Isabella just had, and she fell over. And, you know, of course I was working at the time and I would literally leave my house and it would be dark. I'd get back home and it would be dark. And I just remembered like saying to myself, like, this is not what owning a business is supposed to be like. And it was on, that was like 20 my daughter was born in 2010. So that was pretty early on when she sent that, that I knew like there needed to be a better way, but you know, you can't change stuff overnight. Right. But I knew early on, I didn't want to be that guy. Like so many entrepreneurs, I know set their success by like how often their phone rings. I set mine by how little it rings because if everybody is, is doing, you know, what they're empowered to do, that's the the more strategic stuff that's got to come my way. But to, to go back, I remember when we pulled the trigger and we moved to the four-day work week. We went to, instead of working Monday to Saturday with Sunday being the makeup day, which was every Sunday, 
uh, we went to Monday to Thursday with Friday being like our, uh, our, our, our makeup day. And I remember we probably were around, I'm, I'm going back now. Like we probably had 25 or so 20 to 25 employees at that point in time. And I remembered it was like a culture shock. Like people were ticked. Like the ones that wanted the hours were like upset that we were taking them away. But then mm-hmm. other ones that had kids, it, it, they got over it really quick. Yeah. And what's really funny is, you know, go two years from that after that happened. And when we would have like a special project where we needed guys to work on weekends, dude, it was like baptizing cats to try to get them to come in because our culture just completely shifted to being value to valuing that work family balance. Yeah. And so that was like the pivotal moment for me where it was like, when we had our son, you know, in 2013, so now I got, you know, I have two kids and it, it worked out well for my wife to be able to transition to come work in the business. And, you know, a lot of communication there were like, Hey, I'm going to have to work late sometimes, but you need to be with the kids. Yep. And so we just have a, a, a lot of, a, that helps our marriage when she understands, like, we can't both be hustlers and grinders. Somebody's yeah. got to be willing to take one for the team and be like, Hey, I'm going to work late tonight. I got client meetings tonight, whatever the case may be. Um, but you're going to be the one to take our kids to soccer, take them yep. to theater. And then some nights I got to jump in and do it. And so, but that, that whole like hustle journey, if you are truly, uh, I don't want to say a stickler, but if you really manage your, there's no such thing as time management. So I don't want to use that because you can't change time, but really your, uh, the way that you steward your time, the way that you, how you commit to stuff and why you commit to stuff and when you commit to stuff. If you really structural structure and like time box your day, it's amazing what you can get done in oh, yeah. 20 to 30 hours a week. And this is actually something in our leadership team that we unpack all the time. And they always get this weird look on their face when I say this, because they're like, you're not going to like decrease my pay area. <laughs> but I tell them if they're working more than 31 hours a week, then there's a problem with systems. Mm. And I get it. There's times when we're short staffed and they got to go out and, and fill in on a crew or whatever. That's different. But truly in their day-to-day role, if you time box from the morning when you're morning rollout, you're getting all 29, 30 crews or whatever it is out from that point in time to visiting with your crews, training the ones that need training to visiting with the client that you need to meet with to getting your couple hours of paperwork done a day in the office that you got to do really Monday to Thursday. That's only like 24, yeah. 25 hours. That's even giving you a buffer for BS and water cooler talk. Yep. So that if you really look at that, the people that are working 60, 70 hours a week, you know, I could spend one day with them and show them ways that they're wasting their time, whether it's on social or yep. having conversations that are not actually adding value. They're just wasted conversations where you're talking about something. And sometimes conversations need to be had, but there's a time and place for everything. And so like we we have this kind of unwritten credo within our organization that unless the conversation is going to solve a problem for that day before the next day, we don't like to talk about stuff after like three o'clock. Do not start an open-ended conversation after three, because more often than not, when I would miss dinners with my family, 
it would be like, yeah, I got to do a conversation with our director of operations about um, a crew problem that we're having with John. And she said, oh, well, what was the outcome? Well, we need to start working on some better training stuff. But there really was no like check the box that something got handled. Yeah. And so when you really like unpack what you're doing with your time, like that whole 60, 70 hours, like you literally can eliminate like one or two things from your workload and, and cut that in half and actually get more value and get more done in the rest of the time. And I, I have a whole like box of time-saving hacks of ways to do things and people to empower to get more stuff done. And, and, and I'll, I'll tie a bow on it with this right here. I used to, every morning in my quiet time, I used to create a to-do list. Well, when you really grow in your leadership and you actually are getting to a point where you want to empower others and, and give them a taste of what ownership looks like, yep. you create a to-don't list. Mm. And I am way more of a fan of the to-don't list because that's the stuff where it's like, should I, should I really be doing that? Should I really be owning that? And when you start to take the stuff off where to somebody else, that could be a great value and asset to their time really to you what you should be focusing on at whatever level of the journey of your of the business that you're in um it really pays dividends on your your time investment man that's really good yeah i always say people that are overworking are just inefficient in their business mm. yep there's a process problem not a people problem <laughs> exactly man well hey i know you got to get out of here i super appreciate your time and telling your story um where can people find you? Just to, I know you post a lot of really good stuff on Facebook and, and all of that. Um, if people wanted to follow you or, or whatever to, to kind of follow your life and your business. Yeah, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an open book. I mean, so if anybody ever has any questions or, you know, something where they might be struggling on something, I'm, I'm honored to get to, to, to share the journey. Um, certain days of the week, certain times of the week. Yeah, yeah of so course. It's one of those things, you know, if it's quick, we can we can always jump on a call real fast and, and talk about stuff. But that's why I try to be as uh, open and transparent in platforms like this, because yep. this is how stuff grows legs. And instead of it just being a one-on-one, -on -one, hundreds of people yeah. can hear the message and hopefully take something good away from it. But obviously, um, I'm on Facebook, so it's just yep. Sam Gimbel. Um, or my email is super easy, Sam at samgimbal.com. So G-E-M-B-E-L. Just Google there you it. Go. It'll come up. So <laughs> cool. I'll, I'll throw it. Love, love to hear from you. Yeah, man. I'll throw it in the show notes. Cool. Well, I appreciate you, man. As always, I'm sure I'll see you soon. And uh, thanks again for being on the show. It's been an honor, my friend. Take care, Matt. Yep. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. As always, if you need any help marketing your business or want to work with me directly doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, visit serviceindustrycoach.com. We'll see you on the next episode.